Good evening. This should be our last night in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been here about a year. Yeah, it's been about a year, which may seem long to you, may seem quick, I don't know, but it's been about 40 uh, weeks, actually, and there's been some, you know, interruptions with things in between, but uh, it's been a year, and we're concluding the Gospel of Matthew here tonight. We're in chapter 27, and we're going to be starting at verse 62. Let's pray once again before we get started. Lord, every time I read any of the Gospels, I fall more in love with you. I am challenged by you. I am encouraged by you. I am drawn in by you. And I see in you the person I want to be. And Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this book, we know it is the beginning of a whole new world. Lord, you've changed everything. And we ask that what you have done would again change us tonight. That we would allow you access to the secrets of our heart, to the fears, to the struggles, to the emptiness, to the weakness, and may you fill us with your presence, with your purposes, and your strength. I thank you again for this time together. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week we ended at the burial of Jesus, where a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph gave his tomb so that Jesus could be buried there, that the women also were there, and they wrapped his body in clean linen cloths, put him in the tomb. As they sat there opposite the tomb, we see in verse 62, the next day, this would be Saturday, the Sabbath, and that's important. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. The tomb. The Pharisees are worried. They're worried. Well, let me ask you, what do you think they're really worried about? Do you think they're really worried about the disciples? 
maybe, maybe not. No wrong answers here. Go ahead. And, and I mean, we don't know. We're just speculating here. And so what were they worried about? What, what would, huh, their power. Yeah, their authority, right? If Jesus was risen, it could take away their authority. The people would want to follow after these disciples now. Right. And so they're, they're concerned about their positions, their presence, and which is, again, making us think they've seen the miracles that Jesus has done throughout his ministry. We've seen in chapter after chapter where they would see the things that Jesus did, and then they would get upset because of the way he did it, because he healed on the Sabbath, because he didn't do things according to their rules, their structure, their traditions. And so that disturbed him. And I imagine it made them a little fearful. The power that Jesus had, they wanted to make sure that that didn't arise again. Whether they thought Jesus would actually come out or whether they thought the disciples would try something, where they, whether they thought Lazarus was some trickery. Who knows what they thought? They just wanted to squelch this. And so Pilate says, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. It's almost as if Pilate's saying, keep Christ in the tomb if you can. But they can't. And so they do what's necessary. They put a guard up. You know, the, the problem with this is that this is, again, on the Sabbath, which was against their law, to go to Pilate to request these things. They were vital, violating their own laws once again. And once again, we see the deception of their agenda was more important than actually God's agenda. And we've talked a few times about how that can be an easy thing for us to have our agenda assert God's agenda. This is what I want, so I think this is what God wants for me as well. And we move in that direction. And it happens so many times, people throw the God card down. Well, the Lord told me. I hate when people tell me, what am I supposed to say? You know, the Lord told me, okay, well, that ends that then. If the Lord told you, I have nothing to say. You heard from God, and that's what's... But people say things like that flippantly, or in ways that, to me, are puzzling. You know, the Lord told me that we were going to get married. Shouldn't he tell both of you? And to me, isn't that your decision, not the Lord's decision? Really, God's telling you you have to marry that person? I mean, it can happen. It happened with... Um, what's his name? Uh, he had to marry the prostitute. Uh, what's that? Hosea. God told him to marry the prostitute. So, I mean, it's not like God can't do that, but most of the time, it's our choice. We make the choice. And so I just get troubled when people throw out the God card, but again, it's easy to have our agenda all of a sudden become God's. This is what I want, so God told me. God opened the doors. You know, Lord, if the sun comes up tomorrow, let this happen. You know, and it's like, well, the sun's going to come up. And you set some general things. Um, but they wanted to make sure their power stayed intact. And so they were quick to try and suppress anything that could upset that, even breaking the law of God, which they were supposed to be upholding. 
Any thoughts on these verses that stand out to you guys or questions you have? Nope. Okay, then. We'll get done early tonight. Chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see where the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The resurrection. And there's a few things interesting. You know, what's interesting about Matthew's gospel is he, he is so sporadic in some of the things that he includes and then some of the things that he doesn't. He, he leaves us such a small portion of the resurrection compared to some of the other gospels. And yet he does give us insight like to the whole guarding the tomb. Uh, that comes specifically from Matthew. But here we see in his gospel that the women are there and they were also the last ones to leave the cross. Remember, everyone else fled, but the women stayed there. They were there to help lay the body in the tomb. They were there watching over him. And now they are the first to witness the resurrection. There's something to be said about faithfulness and endurance. Those who didn't leave were there to see the first people who ever saw Jesus alive from the dead were those who stood and waited and stayed near. I, I think that's beautiful. I think that's just such a neat thing that Jesus appears to those who were desiring him and were continuing there. It's challenging to me, and we've talked about how women throughout the scripture always are placed in this good light as opposed to the disciples and some of the guys who are kind of like knuckleheads. You know, maybe those sitcoms are right. I don't know. You know, it's, what, it's just this idea that these women have this affection that seems to pierce through a lot of the things that the guys are just blind to. And it holds them there a little bit longer than the guys. 
It doesn't mean that he loves the guys any less, but it's because the women were there that they saw Jesus. It's because of their faithfulness. It's because of their unwillingness to leave that they were able to see. And I wonder how many times do I leave things too early? Do I stop praying too soon? And the revelation of what God wants to accomplish is right there. If I would just hang on till the morning, if I would just wait a little bit longer, if I would persevere till the end of this day, Difficulty. I can remember one time dealing with one of my children, and it was just a dreadful evening going back and forth, arguing and frustrating and upsetting and just, just ugly and just wearing me out, exhausting me out. And I remember just not letting go and just saying, no, we can't let this go. I'm not going to just let this pass. And I remember there was a point when they had a change and they actually said that they felt like God touched them physically. That they said, what was that? And I said, what was what? <laughs> you know, it was probably something like that. It was in that frustrated voice. And they said... I think Jesus just touched me. And I remember like, okay, what what are you pulling? You know, trying to end this. You're trying to, you know, pull the God card or something. Even though I've been praying for the God card all along. And they just said, I had asked God, if you're really there, then just touch me. And I felt like someone touched me. And this was about four in the morning. And I can remember... After that, there was a big change. And I remember thinking, what would have happened if I would have just said, get out of here at 3 in the morning? I'm done. I'm tired. We just keep going round and round. Forget it. What would have happened? And I wonder if sometimes, like Daniel, when he was waiting and praying for all those days before the angel came, if he would have quit early. What happens when we leave early? Here the women were around and they see and get to experience and enjoy the resurrection of Jesus, the first two people in the world to be confronted by this empty tomb and the risen Savior. And then we see three things taking place. First, they were urged not to be afraid and then encouraged to believe. The angel says, don't be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. In other words, don't be afraid. Look for yourself. Believe. I'm telling you the truth. He's not here. So they are encouraged to believe, to not be afraid and to believe. And then they're encouraged to share. He says he's not here. He's risen. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. You believe, now go tell the others. And we see the result of this in verse 8, that they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. That the result of their belief and their taking to heart the things that were said, as they are on their way, they were terrified, yet they were filled with joy. They were running with excitement. Do you guys remember when you were a kid and there's something that happened you can't wait to go and tell someone and you're running and you're all smiling and you're all happy because you want to get there real quick and you see the kids running, they're like big old grins on their face and like, what's up? You know, something's going on. 
you're happy or, or are we in trouble or are you delirious? What's going on? And it's, oh, yeah, this happened. And they're excited about something that took place. They're just filled with joy. This is overwhelming. The reality is now in front of them, well, almost in front of them. The, the truth is there in their minds. They're, they're understanding Jesus isn't in the tomb. He, he's alive. We got to go to the disciples. And now on their way to the disciples, they actually... Jesus appears to them himself. And I always wondered, why did he interrupt them? They were on their way. Why does he say, hey, greetings? Don't be afraid. He could have just let them go on. Why would he stop them? I love to think about things like this. You see, I think Jesus wanted to see them. I think Jesus wanted to see the women who were there at the foot of the cross that whole time. I think Jesus wanted to see those who stuck by him, who laid him in that tomb, who cared and loved him. I think Jesus wanted to see them. And so he did. He says, greetings. They came, they clasped his feet and worshipped him. And he said the same thing. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. Just a beautiful and endearing passage of Scripture. And it's just ten verses. It drives me crazy. I have so many questions. I have so many things I wish I had more detail about. I wish, and again, Matthew segments his a little bit differently, but there is just so much taking place here. And I think God is just giving us little glimpses of the joy, of the fascination, because it's a little too much to comprehend. What are your thoughts on this passage? Anything jump out at you guys, just in these 10 verses? It's very neat. We experienced that today. We did uh, Clara's memorial service. You know, and so there's a time where there's mourning, there's loss, but there's a feeling of joy. She's with the Lord, same thing, you know, that kind of, yeah, those two things that seem contrary but god is able to bring them together neat yeah yeah especially with the pastor there he made he made it oh that was great found out things about clara i had no idea about yeah i'm like whoa clara there's a whole different side of you i never knew it was great it was a really neat time any other things stand out in these verses i don't i don't think it's implying there's always an angel when there's an earthquake but I think it's applying this was something that specifically happened at this point, showing it was a violent earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, the crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have any insight of an angel at that time, but definitely something powerful was happening. I think it's interesting, too, that they clasped his feet, and then Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. There's something that they did there. They're, hey, I'd be afraid. I would. This would be a little overwhelming. You know, I mean, in a, a tremendously good way, but in a just overwhelming way. People who we've seen die like this don't just get back alive. That's not the norm. And that would be kind of spooky. You know, that would be a little... You, want, you know, are you really? Are you are... Like, you know, in the Hebrew mind and ghosts and evil things were very uh, closely related. And so they're 
remember when Jesus was walking on the water, it's a ghost. You know, they were like terrified because they didn't think it was actually Jesus. And so those kinds of things might, I mean, I can just imagine what would be going on in my mind if something like that happened. Your, your mind would go to all these places. And that's why the angel said, don't be afraid. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid. Because they probably were frightened to some degree, you know, but they had to, clasp onto his feet, they were filled with joy, all these things were just an emotional overload. Well, it, it talks about when they went to look at the tomb, it talks about the violent earthquake, and then it talks about the angel and the guards being afraid, and then it says all of a sudden the women are there. Matthew is very disjointed in how he writes some things as we went through chapter 24. It'd be, here's the end, here's something recent, here's things. A lot of times he didn't go in a chronological order, but he would display the events. And so from the other Gospels, we don't see that the ladies were actually there at the time, but when they went there to look for him, he was gone. And so it, that could be also the case here where, you know, maybe they, they might have been around the corner, they might have been right, who knows, you know, when it happened. They could have been right there at the time, but I, I believe that the event happened just based on the things in the other Gospels. Again, God wasn't trying to give us a chronological detail explanation of everything that happened. He was trying to give us the truth and power of what happened. And so, um, especially Matthew is doing that very much so. So I'm not sure exactly if that was right there at that time. Well, let's continue. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while he were, we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The cover-up begins. You know, the truth means little if it's behind an agenda. We don't care about the truth. We care about our agenda. And that's what we see happening with the Pharisees. They don't care that it was an angel. They don't care if Jesus was alive or not. They still just cared about their agenda. And they held on to this lie. They paid money so that the guards would keep it quiet. But apparently it wasn't kept quiet enough. I mean, we know the women knew about it. I imagine the guards went home and told their family, I got a lot of money, but you won't believe what happened. Okay, this is unbelievable. And I, you know, those, that's what usually happens. And that's my biggest problem with conspiracy theories is they, they expect people to be quiet. It's like no one ever landed on the moon. I'm like, okay, who's holding on to that secret still? You know, did the guy go home to his wife? Yeah, we were on the moon. Oh, I got to tell you that. You know, I mean, I just, anyway, I'm, I'm digressing here <laughs> very badly. Um, <laughs> And so there is the cover-up, but I just think it's interesting that the truth means so little to them. I mean, think about what happened with the elders and the priests. They used treachery to get a hold of Jesus. They illegally 
took him captive at night. They brought slander and charges against him that were not legitimate before Pilate. And now they're using bribery to keep things quiet. And still they failed. They still failed. There's an old Roman proverb that says, Great is the truth and it will prevail. The truth will come out. And they tried as hard as they could. They tried with treachery, tried to be illegal slander, bribery, and the truth still came out. And I think that's telling. I think when we try and cover up things, God always exposes the truth. Jesus says, what was done in the dark will be proclaimed in the light. What you do in secret will be shouted on the mountaintops. Frightening, I know. But the truth is going to come out. It always does. And, and understanding that, we need to give up our treachery, not try and be conniving, not try and be slanderous, not try and fake our way out of things, but just recognize the truth and be people of truth. Because it's amazing how religious people can be blind to the truth if they have an agenda. It's true with everyone. If there's something that's driving you, you will adhere to what that is that's driving you. It happens in the scientific world. That's why many discoveries are done by accident because they don't believe a theory is going to work. And so when they see conclusions that support this, no, that's, they disregard them because that's not a part of what they're trying to prove. And then they walk away and they come back the next night and there it is. And all of a sudden it's like, huh, how'd that happen? Well, you weren't looking for it, but it happened. And they have to all of a sudden readjust their paradigm to say, okay, I guess this is possible. And it's amazing how the scientific community is always changing because of the prejudice that goes into those things. People do this all the time in all these different ways, and we'd be foolish to think it can't happen to us. If we get too set on an agenda, this is what it is, then this is what we have to do. Not too long ago, I was writing something. I was going to post this blog, and I thought it was just amazing. You know, I thought, this is great. And I had my daughter read it, and she goes, well, I don't think that's true. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I, I think this. And she gave me her points, and I argued. No, I think this, this, and this. And she goes, no, that's not how I see it. I see it like this. And I was very upset with her for not seeing the truth of my writing. But I had to step back and see that her perspective did paint a completely different picture. Like I told you before, sometimes different eyes give you perspective. And so it's not that what I was saying wasn't true, but I could see how coming from a different viewpoint, it could be misunderstood. And so I had to stop and I had to say, okay, I need to rewrite this. So I haven't written it again. I'm still pouting. Um, I'm just kidding. But we need to be careful of those things. But again, here is the cover-up, the beginning of the cover-up to try and keep the good news silent. Can't be done. Can't be done. 
Anything stand out to you guys here or any questions on this portion, these verses? Yeah, and no doubt they were worried about themselves. That's why the, you know, priests go up and they say, we'll, cut, we'll go to the governor and we'll make sure he keeps you out of trouble because they could have gotten in trouble for this. You what? Let the disciples steal the body. So whatever they said, they kept it down low. But yeah, yeah, they were frightened. They shook like dead men. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 4. Angel, bing. <laughs> Again, it's hard to imagine what would happen, but, uh, you know. It, no, they didn't. If you've ever been a part of something that's, you know, mysterious, uh, paranormal, something ever weird has happened, um, you know, there's a spiritual world around, and whenever those things break in and we see glimpses of those things, it's kind of freaky. That's why they make so much money on the movies, you know, because it's just, uh, it puts that chill down your spine, you know, and that's just seeing small glimpses, seeing an actual angel, seeing bright light and a stone rolling away. That's, that's pretty, that'll leave an impression. You're going to have to change your shorts after that one, man. That's going to be, it's going to be crazy. And they did. They were like dead men. They weren't going to try and attack. They, weren't, they were just like, what do you do? What do you do? And so those kinds of things, anything that is supernatural is just that. It's supernatural. And so it's a little overwhelming in that way. Well, let's continue. We'll conclude the Gospel of Matthew here. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We know about him. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus ends and, and he kind of concludes with a few things, three things that I noted. One is he assured them of his power. What could be greater than someone conquering death? What more authority could a person have than being able to conquered death. This is now beyond question. And so he satisfies and assures them of this power. All authority belongs to me. Then he gave them a commission to make disciples. That's learners. And he says this, make disciples of all nations. I think it's interesting that he didn't say make disciples of people. He said of nations. We have taken the gospel and made it very individual, very personal. And it is personal. But if you lead one person to Christ, you, you bring salvation to that one person. If you bring people to Christ, then you start a movement. And what Jesus was doing was starting a movement. He wasn't just go and save one person. He was 
out to save nations. And it's interesting to me that whenever Jesus talks, even when he says, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, or in Acts chapter 1 that we read Sunday, you know, go and, you know, preach this gospel to Judea, Samaria, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. He starts with cities. He doesn't say, go home, tell your wife, go home, tell your brother. So he says, start here, Upland. That's our starting point. And he just seems to be wanting to start a movement. Now, the movement begins with individuals, but it's just something that I think we can get so locked into just the individuals that we don't realize that what God's wanting to do is much bigger. And so he's wanting to start a movement, and it's to make disciples to win all men. He's wanting to win all men to who he is, and then he promises them his presence. These 11 Galileans are sent out to change the world, but he tells them you're not alone, which is comforting. Because imagine 11 people just being told, go change the world. And again, Jesus starts with all power, authority in heaven and earth is given to me, and then he sends them. And I've kind of tossed this out a few times. It's like, what do you mean? You've got all power and authority. You go. You change the world. But you see, a disciple sees himself as his teacher. When they saw Jesus and they're following their rabbi, what they were doing is wanting to be like their rabbi. That's what a disciple does. They are learning to be like their teacher. And so when Jesus is saying, I have all authority, I'm sending you, he's telling them, I want you to go out in the authority that I have and change the world. And so there is an understanding with them that we now have what you have. You are sending us as yours to do this task. And that's why Jesus said, I'm with you. Because there was an understanding that we're not just going to do this, that we are now going as his disciple. He is our teacher. We are his follower. The authority that he has, we now have. Remember, we talked about that in John when Jesus said, whoever sins you forgive will be forgiven. He wasn't saying, I give you the power to forgive sins. It's like, you now represent me. You have the ability to bring this reconciliation of people to their God. You have that authority. That's what my position and job was. That's now what yours is. And so there's this incredible responsibility that's given to these 11 Galileans, these men of Galilee. It just cracks me up. I mean, there's more of us here in this room than there was there. People of Upland, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. What I love about this is him and adding the very end of the age is he's giving this commission far past just the disciples. It passes now to us. I think that's so cool that these are words for us. And this, Matthew concludes, he says, there you go. That's it. 
It's like, I, I feel like there's more to this story. Well, there is. There's the whole book of Acts. There's a whole lot more. We're living the rest of this story. And so, powerful words. What, what stands out to you guys in this Great Commission? Are there any things you kind of connect to or maybe questions you have regarding it? You know what stands out to me is he has all power and authority, and this is how he chooses to, yeah, send these 11 guys out. Think, what would you do if you had all power and authority right now? Would you become president, fix this nation? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what would you do? Would you try and use your authority in that kind of a way? Jesus didn't. All power and all authority, and he told these 11 guys, go change the world. It's a lot of confidence in 11 guys. That's putting your trust in these men in the weakness that is in all men and trusting that your power is still going to change the lives of the world. Curious, very curious, that this would be how he would use this power. He didn't conquer nations. He didn't set himself up as king. He didn't set anyone else up as king. He just told them to make people aware of who I am. Get them connected to me and I'll do the rest. And so that's our job is to make disciples. We're not to build churches. doesn't mean you can't. But that's not our mission here on earth is to make great churches. It's not to win elections. It's to make disciples, bring people to the knowledge of who this Jesus is, who has all authority, all power. And once we connect people to him, he's able to do amazing things. And I think sometimes our mistake is not realizing the power that God has to change the lives of people. And so we feel it necessary to start changing people's lives so that they can show that if you're going to really be a follower of Jesus, I want to see it instead of trusting what God can do. You know, um, this week I got contacted by, uh, this is going to get confusing. I had a stepdad who had another son who never knew my stepdad, his real dad, and so on Facebook, my stepdad's real son contacted me and said, are we related? <laughs> and it goes back to a long time ago. I mean, I remember when he was born, I was in high school at the time. And all of a sudden him writing and I was like, oh my gosh, I know who this is. And I remember the time and everything. And I'm just looking at what God has done in my life from way back then to now, it's, it's nice to know that God is alive and works and does these things. And so it's just interesting. And I don't know where he's at. It's just, you know, we just started contact. He goes, I'd like to get to know some family, 
you know, he didn't know the whole story because he didn't get to know his dad. And so he's asking me questions. Well, who's your mom? And how are you related to this person and this person? And why do you and me have the same last name? And it's like, it's a mixed up world, I'll tell you. Um, but it started a conversation. And so, but just looking back at what I was, where I was, and I mean, I was a Christian at that time, but to see just the hand of God and the power of God to change and direct lives to where he does. That's an amazing thing. And so we need to trust the power of God. Amen. Any other thoughts as we close the Gospel of Matthew? Nothing else? Okay, let's pray then. Father, you leave us with power. You leave us with a commission. You put responsibility in our laps and tell us to continue the work that you began. And so like those 11 men from Galilee, Lord, we are here hearing your words to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, the responsibility to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all the things that you've commanded, knowing you are with us to the very end. Lord, may the terrifying joy that captured their hearts capture ours as well. May we be moved like they were. May we experience that you are alive. Lord, we know you are alive because you have given us your life. And because you live, we live also. Lord, thank you for these encouraging words. Thank you again for being the God who cares, the God who is with us to the very end, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord. We do love you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>